You are listening to The Breakdown. This is Yasser Louati speaking. This podcast is offered to you by the CJL, Committee for Justice and Liberties. We are an independent human rights and civil liberties organization thanks to our donors. If you too would like to support our investigative reporting, political education, and mobilization work, you can make a donation on cjl.ong. Welcome to The Breakdown. This is your host, Yasser Louati, coming to you straight from the Paris South Side Bonlieu. Thanks again for joining us. We took a short break for the month of June and July. And we are back this time with another episode of the show, this time dealing with what is happening right now in Africa, more precisely in Western Africa, in countries like Niger, Mali. If you remember, earlier this year, there was a strike by the French military against a civilian population. The French government, under Emmanuel Macron, said that Uh, 22 terrorists had been neutralized, to use the lingo of the French military. It turned out that the UN is accusing France of having killed 19 civilians during a marriage. Now, this is a typical situation where you have reports on the ground and from the UN speaking of civilian casualties and officials in Western governments and others, of course, uh, claiming that it is not true and that Whatever decision they took was for the good of mankind, and in this case, neutralizing terrorism. To give you a background story, France has been present in Africa for over a century, if not uh, more, if we count the, the pre-colonial era. But after the independences of the uh, uh, earlier 20, or mid you know, 20th century, a system of corruption, domination, ex exploitation has been uh, kept in place, a new colonial system called La France-Afrique, which is a network of France-led uh, lobbies that are serving French interests in terms of political involvement and, of course, military presence. Many people were happy when Emmanuel Macron spoke of France's ending the Operation Barkhane, which was about countering terrorism in the Sahel region. Many applauded that France, by scaling back its military presence, would be making a step towards leaving Africa to Africans and allowing Africans to manage their affairs. Well, it turned out that the decision to with draw from Africa was, act was actually accompanied by an upscaling or an increase in military presence through drones. Yes, you heard me. Despite over a decade of reporting of, of drones, actually two decades of reports about U.S. drones in the Middle East, Pakistan, Afghanistan, Somalia, the thousands of deaths we will speak about later on with my guest, We see that France now is taking the path of uh, automata uh, um, using automation and unmanned air vehicles to uh, bomb people in Africa. Now, uh, some years ago, uh, Françoise Parly, the Minister of Defense, spoke of these drones and said they were only to be used for information and intelligence gathering. But of course, if you start using drones, of course, you're going to test them to gather information. And sooner or later, you're going to end up arming these drones. And that's exactly what happened with the French drones. A base uh, was opened in the capital city of Niger, Niamey. And that base 
is being used for operating drones, or at least French drones take off from that base. Despite the uh, French denial over the bounty killing, a report has just been published by investigative reporter and uh, researcher uh, Khalil Diwan, based in London in the UK. The report speaks of the crimes committed by uh, France. He gathered testimonies from people on the ground and, of course, through his law firm, is trying to press the French government to answers over the killing of civilians and at least to have some kind of indication whether France is using standard operating procedures in the operation of drones. Now, of course, for those who are familiar with aviation, that means how drones are used and how you define uh, targets and who, who takes the decision based on what elements. I will also ask uh, uh, Mr. Diwan about uh, the intelligence gathering process throughout Europe, if there are any systems of accountability, and if there are reasons for us to worry about this new phase of French neocolonialism in Africa after the bounty killing and the French denial. I spoke long enough, so now I welcome Mr. Khalil Diwan to our show. Khalil Diwan, welcome to you. Thank you very much, and uh, thank you very much for having me on the show. It's a pleasure to have you. The report that, that you published through uh, the law firm with which you work, uh, Stoke White Investigations, is called France's Shadow War in Mali, Airstrikes at the Bounty Wedding. Now, you published this report not long ago, just a couple of days before a recording, uh, first, before you get into the report, could you please introduce yourself to our audience and what prompted you to publish this report? Sure. So I have uh, many years of experience uh, investigating drone warfare uh, in Pakistan, Somalia and Yemen, uh, Syria as well. And um, I started working with Stoke White recently, um, a law firm based in London, and we recently set up an investigative unit. And one of the things we sat down and, and we kind of um, decided upon is what should we look at first? And um, it, you know, immediately I saw uh, Reuters as well as Al Jazeera and others cover this strike in Bounty, um, which really caught my eye because coming from a background of international law and human rights um, is something I really wanted to look into. Whilst the conflict in Sahel has been ongoing for many years now, uh, France's use of drones um, for um, ISR missions and spying effectively underground um, to how it executes its targets hasn't really been looked into in any shape or form. So this was very worrying and I made the decision to look into this in particular. So what were your first findings when you, when you began working on this uh, uh, airstrike over a wedding in Bounty. Was it obvious to you that civilians had been targeted or did you have to go extensively through data to find out about the truth? Yeah, sure. So first of all, you know, when the strike occurred on the 3rd of January 2021, journalists were you know, effectively covering a story saying that civilians on the ground were denying that um, an armed group was attacked. They were saying that, look, this was a wedding um, uh, that was attacked and the truth needs to be told. And, you know, it rang alarm bells for us, really. And then when we started investigating 
the incident going on the ground, you know, using open source intelligence and, you know, tracking everything uh, using particular means and sources, we realized very quickly that actually a wedding indeed had been attacked. And this was very problematic. Um, some of the testimonies that we captured, we spoke to individuals who said, look, this was my cousin's wedding. Um, and we attended the, attended the wedding and all of a sudden there was a strike. You know, several people died. We ran away as well. They were, they were shipped, you know, they were taken away to um, nearby medical facilities um, by MSF. And um, three months later, the UN mission in Mali, they conducted a investigation. Uh, whilst it was a decent investigation, they also said that it indeed was a wedding and several people had been killed. Uh, but the interesting part is that France denied the the UN report and the, and the allegation that civilians were killed. And this is also another thing which was very alarming and has the hallmarks of denial of accountability and uh, transparency that we have seen before, uh, whether it's in Pakistan, Somalia, Afghanistan and other places, including Yemen. And um, I think that it spoke to the world, particularly experts who have been working on drone warfare for many years, that this is an arena that must be looked at um, for the sake of human rights and for the sake of the right to life. Um, in your report, you write that the victims were all men aged between 23 and 71. This is quite striking. Does it mean that France would deliberately target the gathering of men in that region and then decide that because they are gathered in a specific location, there must be suspects and then targeted? Which also raises questions. It means you, 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 you target a gathering of men, there are suspects, and a person decides to kill these people. Yeah, this is a very good question. Um, you know, what we have seen over the course of the last 20 years uh, when it comes to targeted killings and drone strikes is that, for example, the US had this policy of targeting military-aged males. So I've also found it quite interesting how, um, you know, people were targeted in this fashion when they were all males and France were um, effectively claiming that this was indeed a group of armed and uh, uh, men who are part of an armed group in this remote area just uh, north of Bunti. And um, what I would personally suggest, and I have mentioned it in my report, is that France are targeting similar to the US and the, the, in the manner in which they interpret international humanitarian law or the law of armed conflict when they look at the procedures is something there needs to be more of a spotlight on um, and also how they interpret as well because what we have seen um, with regards to uh, targeted killings is that there are very wide and loose interpretations on who can be targeted when and even if it is a combatant when can you target them these are questions which academics as well as lawyers have been debating over the course of 20 years now so it's nothing new but what is new is France's involvement in drones. And whilst they have been using um, ISR missions, you know, you know, for their drones up until now, they also have been using armed attacks as well. So firing Hellfire missiles. And I think this is the time now to really put the spotlight on France's attacks, because um, I really do think that the net of accountability is very far and wide. And this is something that I alluded to uh, in my report. I, I will kind of guess that you got in touch with the French uh, government in writing this report. Uh, when you contacted these people, if you have, uh, what was the answer from the French military in terms of uh, 
Are they sure they targeted armed combatants? And if they did, under on what basis or what was the process that led uh, to pull the trigger and then hit these people? Have you been given any information on how this is being decided or not? Sure. So I did have several exchanges, actually, with the Ministry of Armed Forces. Um, and I was communicating with someone quite regularly and they were quite open to speaking to me um, about the Bunti attack, but also more broadly in the Sahel region. And I asked them very specific questions. Um, not not general questions about how targeting what they're targeting procedures or but very very specific questions on targeting um policy um what a legal advisor would expect and you know without any surprise i didn't actually receive any information but they did tell me that they applied the law of law of war and the law of armed conflict uh, which quite clearly there is discrepancy on their interpretation because um if you can target a group of people thinking it's lawful and they were there um, at a wedding party and you, and you couldn't effectively you know, decipher the difference between civilians and a combatant, then it's highly problematic. And if we look at the gathering itself, you know, we must be very clear, there were three individuals who are part of an armed group. Whilst on the testimonies, there's some discrepancy in whether they were part of it or not. You know, international humanitarian law, the law of armed conflict, has a lot to say about that, whether you can target them in such a situation. We've seen this before in Yemen. We've seen this before in Afghanistan. We've seen this before in Pakistan and some of those countries, of course, outside of the context of an armed conflict situation, which therefore will apply different legal um, frameworks to restrict the use of force. But the main point here is that France believe that you can target these individuals. And this is what we're trying to get at, at Stoke White. We asked them, uh, the French Armed um, uh, Ministry of Armed Forces, whether they could disclose um, any targeted killing policy that we can actually review and, and see, in, even if it's behind closed doors. And, you know, we didn't get any responses, um, unfortunately. And, um, you know, based on my experience of investigating drones now for over a decade, um, I've always looked at what's happening on the ground first, um, speaking to the survivors and, and then attaining these testimonies. And it's something which um, has always provided um, a lot of information with regards to tactics, um, with regards to any spies that, you know, people thought were, um, you know, planting some sort of signal yeah. Um, intelligence and, and the report also talks about how uh, we believe there was a connection with a facility in Europe which could have participated in this attack as well. In 2015, the former president uh, François Hollande from the Socialist Party, the left, uh, spoke to two journalists, uh, Gérard, <coughs> excuse me, uh, Davé and uh, Fabrice Lhomme. And they wrote a book about him speaking, you know, about random, you know, uh, topics. And he came to the subject of France's military intervention abroad. And he admitted quite openly that he had a kill list handed to him by the uh, Foreign Intelligence, the DGSE, or the Directorate for External uh, Intelligence. And <clears throat> the the list would be given to him and he would solely decide who gets killed and who gets, you know, how can, how can I say, uh, uh, not killed. Now, this, of course, you know, shocked the opinion that a president would take the matter to his own hands, that extrajudicial killing was actually a, a normal thing for a president, so much so 
that he would speak openly about it without any sense of shame or trying to at least sugarcoat uh, the the information. This kind of brings us, you know, towards what we just said that there are no explicit or clear policies in terms of. Uh, targeting and who gets to uh, decide who you know when to open fire and which actually raises the question is France and I'm I know I'm speaking to a pro investigative uh, and, and a researcher from a law firm and you know you will have to forgive my provocation would you point towards a rogue state behavior or do you think these are just accidents uh, without a doubt, uh, what I can say very confidently is that France are, and will be very shortly, if not already, are running a targeted killing policy across the Sahel region. Um, and, you know, there's no denying that since they have attained membership of EPI, which is the European Enterprise Network for Targeted Killings, where a network of um, commanders come together where they can access um, you know, lethal capability in a particular war zone, i.e. attain signal intelligence and other countries can also participate with that to strike people with drones. They are, they are acquiescing the whole drone program um, and we don't know how far that can go. Um, so to answer your question, you know, yes, they do have a targeted killing policy. Um, what that actually looks like, investigators and human rights practitioners and as well as NGOs as well, they need to look at that in a, in a much more finer detail and try and find information. Right now, I think the best and the only way is to ask questions to the French government um, and hopefully you can get somewhere with them um, or to conduct investigations on the ground. You know, for me personally, um, I feel that this is um, the beginning of France's drone warfare. Um, whilst um, ISR operations are being conducted, um, you know, technically speaking, there isn't anything unlawful about an ISR mission, particularly if you are engaged in a country. I, I mean, uh, you know, explain to our audience what ISR mission is. Sure. So, um, you know, if, for instance, you are participating in an armed conflict with the consent of the state, there's nothing wrong with an intelligence and surveillance mission. We're using your drones. Um, whether that provides you with accurate information on the ground, that, however, is a separate question. Having spoken to several uh, former drone pilots myself for years, I had some conversations around France's use of drones um, and the Bunty strike in particular for a number of days. Um, you know, some days we were just discussing a particular procedure, for example, the use of uh, drone sensors. And, you know, one of the things they told me very quickly is there is no way um, that they provided accurate intel. You know, this was the experience on the US side, so the front side is highly similar. And how they actually can confidently claim that they targeted a group of um, armed fighters, and they were saying the whole gathering was an armed, was an armed group, um, how they actually cross-reference that on the ground is something which is absurd because um, it's, hi it's highly impossible to know that. Um, even if you have intel on the ground, this is what the former US um, drone operators have told me and technicians. Um, so that really speaks volumes about the tactics that France are using. Um, and also, you know, I put these questions to the French government as well. Um, you know, how they are effectively, you know, verifying the targets. And of course, they didn't want to say anything to me um, on that front. 
As I said earlier, we have 20 years of documented uh, crimes committed by uh, drones. And actually, uh, Barack, if you know, the invasion of Iraq and Afghanistan is the legacy of George W. Bush, the drone war is the legacy of Barack Obama. And many have called him out for everything that has happened in, uh, in the countries that I mentioned earlier, Somalia, Yemen, Pakistan, Afghanistan. I really recommend the episode of John Oliver on the drones where he got all these testimonies and the situation, the terror uh, uh, um, uh, provoked by these drones has reached such levels that kids fear blue skies because they know if there are blue skies, drones can have a, a, a visual on the ground and then start bombing out of the blue. And many that have questioned the military, the military said there were reasons to believe. And reasons to believe does not mean we have proofs that these people are, you know, have been positively identified. Weddings have been targeted for years. And I'm going to give our audience as you know an, an idea over what these drones have provoked in terms of terror, but also if, of killing. Uh, according to the Bureau of Investigative Journalism, at least, and I'm talking about US-led missions, at least 14,000 strikes have been ordered, making a total of between 8,800 to 17,000 victims. And the civilian range goes is between 910 to 2,200, including somewhere around 400 children. And of course, justice will not be served. Who's going to try the people who operated these drones, the people who fired these you know, missiles, and the, and the people who gave the order to fire those missiles? To give a breakdown, again, to our audience, let's take the case of uh, the strikes in Yemen. 336 have been positively uh, identified, with a total killing between 1,000 and 1,400. If we take, uh, uh, if we cross the sea and go to Somalia, it's slightly less, 200 uh, strikes, but the ratio is much, much higher. For 200 strikes, we have between 1,200 and 1,400 people killed. Again, no accountability over the, the decisions and, 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 and or at least justice for the victims. And I think, uh, Pakistan has been, you know, among the, the biggest victims of Barack Obama's uh, drone war. The victims range between 2,500 to 4,000. And not once the drone program in the U.S. has been questioned, either by the U.S. Uh, Congress or at least by other uh, countries or the U.N. And this now, despite all these figures, France is following the same path. You uh, contacted the the, uh, the, the, uh, the Ministry of Armed Forces in France. They gave you no clear answer over their policies, and they gave you no explanation over how they operate these rules. Having said that, uh, uh, Khalil, are there reasons to worry for the future, or do you see at least some roadblocks facing France in terms of 
uh, implementing or at least you know, extending these drone operations after Emmanuel Macron said we are going to scale back our our human presence in the Sahel region. Yeah, sure. Um, just very quickly, you mentioned something about the skies and how people are being terrorized. Um, when we went about investigating and documenting the testimonies for this report, we documented five testimonies, two of which have been publicized or partially with uh, consent and the other three we have consent about us on file for potential legal proceedings um, one of the things that people have been telling us is that you know we don't use mobile phones um, and I found that you know I expected them to say that when I was trying to contact them as well as people on the ground um, on, on our behalf as well um, and the reason being is because they're scared of signal intelligence you know they have the understanding that drones are above us and we, it also impacts their daily life as well. So even when they travel certain kilometers, uh, they have to coordinate their whole life on the ground, um, which can be very tedious as well. And we've seen this experience in other countries such as Pakistan uh, or even, even Yemen, uh, where they're terrified of doing daily, you know, normal things like having a smartphone, they will decide not to have one because it will be tracked. and. Um, if you look very closely, we found that a Saito mobile phone was used in the strike or was actually part of the remnants of the strike. And um, that points towards one thing, signal intelligence. And, and it's very concerning, you see, because they could be used, you know, the French drones could be um, picking up this intelligence on your SIM card or even your mobile phone uh, to, to strike those uh, particular targets with those phones. So, so they effectively may not even know who they're targeting, but because that SIM card was there and there was a group of people, because you know the French armed forces did say that they were monitoring the quote-unquote behavior and the pattern of behavior on the ground. So it all marries together to basically point to the direction of a signature strike where the France are potentially or potentially have a policy where they are targeting people based on um, behavior on the ground, where they don't even know the ID of those people. And of course, with SIM cards in such places, they're always being shared or they're always being mixed around. So that leads to uncertainty and who you can target. Um, with regards to your second question on do we see the use of drones increasing? Absolutely. And um, this is primarily why Stoke White investigations will be continuing to monitor French drones. Um, and the reason because when France uh, and Macron um, called for the drawdown in Mali and the Sahel in, in general, um, he said that he would decrease forces. And that's highly likely to be the case. But in the same time, I think a week after his announcement last month, he also claimed that he will be increasing the the, the pre-existing drones by um, adapting them with Hellfire missiles. And that only means one thing. Drones in France is no longer an ISR mission. It's no longer a spying mission. It's now a fully uh, attack weapon system, which if it feels that you are a target, it will, it will execute you. And we are now at the beginning of France's drone warfare um, across the Sahel. And... Um, you know, it's, it's, it's something which, which needs to be looked into further by all actors on the ground, including journalists, um, you know, to kind of pinpoint all of the atrocities that could go on, learn from the past and see what France is really doing. If, we, if I take a look at your report again in, on the, the status of the attack, you say 
war crime highly likely. Now, do we see any signs that this alleged war crime, if I want to be kind of cautious, is being prosecuted? Or do we just see, all right, you know, people get killed, move on, and let's forget about it. Have you seen any reactions from the UN? I mean, of course, you know, the MINUSMA report was clear, and I'm going to quote them. The fact that a certain number of adult men come together in an area where an armed group is active, or the absence of women and children, although useful for context, is far from enough to determine who is a member of an armed group or that there weren't any civilians present. We have that, but our thing are, is the matter being taken at least to some court? Is this being taken to the UN, or is France again in a situation of absolute uh, impunity, which will open the door for more operations and more war crimes being committed in Western Sahara? Yeah, um, and that's something we're also monitoring as well, how far this would go. And it's uh, something which is a very complicated um, incident, actually, uh, because of the, you know, the, the disputed allegation by all sides, including Mali, um, because it implicates them as well, because they supported France's position that it was, you know, the, the French targeted an armed group, which is not true at all. Um, what we have done at Stoke White Investigations Unit is that we have submitted further evidence, which is not public at all, um, to the UN Special Rapporteur on Counterterrorism and Human Rights, as well as the UN Special Rapporteur on Extrajudicial Killings, um, to ensure that this is taken up um, effectively and, and not ignored. We have seen um, similar incidences in other places whereby um, killings of civilians have been just, you know, pushed under the rug and not taken further. Uh, whilst journalists have done an incredible job in covering and raising um, the incident, but what we do have is that hot news, quote-unquote, gets forgotten, and the real incidences that has affected people, uh, which is remembered, is, is, is left there without any recourse to legal justice. Um, you know, whether that's socially and politically or whether that's legally, um, usually they're left behind and they, con and they continue to lift that trauma on the ground, wherever they are in these remote places in the Sahel. And you have the states uh, which are executing um, lethal power um, at will, which hasn't got any scrutiny. So one of the things we have done is complain to the UN Special Rapporteurs and they have kindly told us that they are taking it up um, based on their mandate. Um, and also we're continuing to attain more testimonies behind the scenes, but also speak with other experts who are within the industry of drone warfare to um, investigate what's going on in the Sahel further. Um, and um, if possible and where possible, we would be able to file an illegal proceedings, which is currently underway. The U.S. presence in, in that part of the world has already has also been documented. Now, France starts operating drones basically 20 years after the U.S. began around 2002 under George W. Bush. And it was, of course, accelerated under Barack Obama. I'm quite curious was there, according to your investigation, any cooperation between American intelligence agencies, CIA or others, and the French troops there? And more specifically, 
was has this operation been carried with U.S. support, which would mean France commits a war crime and the U.S. is also an accomplice? A very good question. And um, we have put these questions to U.S. African Command. Um, I've been liaising with them for a number of years now on, on, a, on a, you know, a number of projects um, that I have done. And, um, you know, I did ask them this question and, and however, they dismissed my question um, and said they couldn't comment, but I should put in an FOI, um, which I found a little bit odd because generally they would give me information straight away based on my work. So I did put in an FOI and I'm still waiting for that FOI to come back to me with the Request yeah, exactly. With regards to the US side's involvement with France's operations, and I asked them a whole load of questions with regards to um, what's your interpretation of France's means and methods, um, their interpretation of law, what do you think about that? Um, do, you, do the US or military and non-military personnel provide any support to France's um, armed forces, whether that's an armed force or an intelligence force. So I've asked all the questions that I can in the FOI and I'm, and I'm looking forward to the response on that. But what I can say based on investigating drone warfare for over 10 years now and drone warfare being uh, there for over two decades is that, look, they are part of EPI, which is the European Enterprise System and architecture system for these five countries, European countries, including the US and the UK, which come together, which share target metadata intelligence for um, targets on the ground, you know, in countries like the Sahel, in countries like Somalia, in, in countries like Pakistan, Yemen, and Syria as well. So to say whether they were, and to answer the question whether they are part of it or not, in, in terms of the American side, absolutely they are a part of it because they're all sharing intelligence between each other. You know, we have the likes of the, of the UK as well, who recently made an announcement publicly last week, towards the end of last week, that they have a new unit which will be conducting operations in, in Africa. Um, Whilst they, you know, the culture is different and they've mentioned that they will be conducting operations, special operations, and a special force as well has been dedicated for this. There isn't much information with regards to what kind of force and what kind of objectives they have. However, there is no denying that their, their proposal, which came into the mainstream um, through government documents, as well as, um, you know, reporting by friendly journalists to the U.S., to the UK military was after Macron's announcement of drawing down in the Sahel. So the US, they do have a major interest in the Sahel, and that's IS and others, which are very loosely connected to armed groups on the ground. They're really fighting a different war there. Um, and based on my analysis and speaking to experts on the Sahel region, you know, the question of IS, there is a lot of right now as we speak, particularly in the last month since Afghanistan was coming to an end, if you would like to say, there's been a lot of analysts as well as think tanks trying to make the Sahel region, particularly Mali, Afghanistan 2.0. And it all adds up, really, you know, the, the military industrial complex and the think tank world are coming together um, for a new phase, um, for a new war. What you're saying right now is that we already see the, uh, how can I say, the preparation for a new narrative that uh, we need more drones in the region 
And these think tanks are basically uh, preparing a public opinion to justify another uh, uh, presence, you know, a different kind of presence in Western Africa through drones. Is that what you're saying or did I miss something? Yeah, I mean, partly it's, it's to do with Macron coming out. And I, I think that, you know, France are in a, in a, major, in, in a major turmoil economically. So they need to come out. But in the same time, it could have been a strategy to say, look, um, you know, Americans and, and the Europeans, you guys need to increase your um, carbon footprint uh, militarily on the ground because I can't continue this anymore uh, within the Sahel region um, on my own. That is true. for interrupting you. Not many countries have followed France in the Barkhane uh, operation. Uh, France basically almost went alone there and there was symbolic support for this operation. But not what you're now saying is that France is basically blackmailing the U.S. saying, well, we are not going to stay with our troops. And I think it was around like 5,000 uh, military personnel in the, in, in, in the area. Now we are going to scale back our presence and we need you to back us in the region. But now this brings, brings another question, uh, uh, Khalil. Why? What are the interests that would make France, uh, you know, send in more drones? And I will speak of the consequences on communities and the fact that they can't even use their cell phones. What would, you know, make France use more drones and drag the U.S. along in this part of the world where we are not accustomed to seeing, you know, American military presence. We are more accustomed to seeing the U.S. in the Middle East and Central Asia and now with, what we, with the rivalries in China in Southeast Asia. But now we're kind of, why? What's going on there that would require these two Western powers to be present to the point of terrorizing communities with their drones? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's, it's a lot to do with economics um, and also interests on the ground within, and, you know, West Africa. There is no doubt that there is a lot of resources there which are being, you know, they have been taken into the, the hands of many states, um, whether you speak to, you know, you know, oil and gas or uranium lawyers or whether you speak to political analysts, they were saying the same thing. I recently even spoke to a military analyst and he was talking about uranium um, to be one of the US interests. But, you know, the reality is France does not want to do it alone. You know, the justification of IS growing there, which is very loosely um, connected to the armed groups. The armed groups, they are fighting their own conflict. Um, unfortunately, some of the analysts, they don't really take that line because, of course, no think tank wants to, you know, pedal a line that doesn't go with the global policy. But, you know, at the end of the day, what really matters is the people and the human rights and the violation and the right to life and what's actually going on there. You know, my concern here with Stokewai is targeted killings, um, what's going on in the conflict. And we have seen other violations as well that we are yet to come to. Uh, for example, torture on the ground and other violent tactics used by several parties to the conflict in the Sahel, particularly in, in, in Mali. Are you saying that France is involved in human rights violations in Africa? That would be a shocker. But now what you're saying is people are being tortured under the watch of French troops. I'll have to come back to that when we have our publication and investigation. Um, but I can say now that, you know, we are looking into uh, several violations of different parties to the conflict. And, um, you know, we are concerned that there is no uh, coverage of the Sahel region uh, properly. 
and uh, whilst there are journalists on the ground um you know you know journalism doesn't go far enough to investigate uh, what, you know what's happening and we're really set up to look at matters which are of public interest um and to see how far we can take them to ensure there's accountability and also to encourage transparency uh, with those uh, individuals who are perpetrators of human rights violations but i need an a clear answer is france involved in the torture of people or you still don't want to speak publicly until a report is out yeah i can't speak pub uh, publicly until you know we have completed our investigations but it's something that i'm looking into for sure let's get back to the effects of these drones on communities we are going we are near now the end of our show or this episode what are the effects on communities when the use of mobile phone now can make you a target of drone strikes have you spoken to people on the ground and what do they tell you about well how do they reorganize their lives now that they know you know engines in the sky you know can you know hit them and kill them yeah absolutely look the bunty wedding attack and i call it the wedding attack because it was exactly that on purpose and the report was named after this title is that the bunty wedding attack is something which resonates with everyone on the ground you know whenever you talk about france's intervention in mali they refer to the bunty wedding attack and the reason being is because this wedding brought together two different uh, people and families and tribes from two different areas and it was it was being planned for weeks okay and they came together in a location which they finally decided on right and then this horrific attack took place where it kind of shifted the mindset of everyone you know it was a very brutal attack you know there were three air strikes that took place and they used the mirage jets as well so you can imagine the, the you know the horror that went through on a celebration effectively of you know two different families coming together and then luckily you know nothing happened to the bride and groom but there were some injuries as well but the injuries of what happens here in the mind is more longer lasting um you know one of the testimonies that we documented was that you know um someone told me you know i'm injured twice once on my body and once in my heart because my relatives were killed um and these are the sort of testimonies which i have seen elsewhere with regards to air strikes civilian casualties and um when you fit this in into a conflict analysis of warfare you have to ask yourself has operation balkan succeeded you know what's the objective of operation balkan and you know what is minusma actually doing there you know they've made a few proposals recently about increasing the foothold we see a lot of people talking about the need to increase uh, military activity but you know has the conversation really taken place on the ground with the civilians the people who live there the tribes that were there before foreign intervention i don't think so and I, and i think that you know when you, when you speak to experts about mali in general I think it's been a major mess of a conflict and France have realized very clearly that their engagement is too expensive for them effectively we need others to come on the ground because they also have interests at back at home in Paris we've had, we have to deal with a lot of that's going on you know the economy is crumbling right now macron is being pushed on several different matters it, you know within Europe alone and I think at the end of the day you know whilst you know the question must be has france failed operation morakain and i think 
any analyst will say, yes, they have. You know, they have. They definitely haven't won the hearts and minds of the people on, on the ground. And um, secondly, you know, they're increasing warfare in a manner which is cheaper and less costly to them, which means it could increase for a number of years to come. Yeah, but I'm going to double down your question, uh, Khalil. Wouldn't that actually feed the narrative that, you know, the French are there to kill us and that would actually uh, make the recruitment for terrorist groups or armed groups easier? Because you can't ask why do they hate us when you are bombing civilians in their weddings. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we have to be clear that, you know, there are armed groups on the ground. There are armed groups who have ideologies and would look to exploit those narratives. And they are. And we've seen this as well on their networks, that they are exploiting this narrative. They are talking about incidences which have, which have occurred um, to, you know, drive up recruitment. And, um, you know, it's, it's a good point because we've seen that any, you know, everywhere. You know, there is no conflict where this sort of analysis does not take place on the ground practically. Whenever you bomb someone effectively, family members are going to be asking, why did you target my family? And if there is an armed group which is providing you very good resources, food and things to do, they may join that. Um, but yeah, it's a very complicated situation. And I'm very uh, sh sure that the French military know this, in fact. Um, but what would be interesting to know is how far they would take a risk like that. Um, and what is their real objective? Uh, decision makers at the highest levels, they know many things, but actually very few of them. Uh, France has a long you know, history or, you know, uh, in Africa and with Africans and we see that one of the, the lessons of the past conflicts have been learned and this actually what you were saying, uh, if I may, show that it's a double defeat for France. It's a military defeat because Barkhane did not reach its you know, uh, military objectives but now is reinforcing the narrative of the groups that were supposed to be fought during the Barkhane operation. Other, you know, a few more questions for you, and, and, and this one's been on my mind. Through your investigations, speaking with the French military, uh, you know, gathering uh, data wherever you could, have you been able to identify the infrastructure of France's drone warfare, from the manufacturing of drones to uh, uh, training, and then all the way to you know operations on the ground? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, we've been, you know, we have looked into the drones in particular that they're using, and. Um, we have come across also the, you know, the details of them as well. You know, majority of them are not actually armed, but they do have some armed. Um, without going into too much detail, uh, that's all changing now. You know, Macron, since his drawdown announcement, it seems that um, these drones will be attaching or having the capability with Hellfire missile systems to strike them by themselves and... Um, you know, the, the, you know, at the end of the day, um, the drones itself, what really is important is not the, the fiberglass, if you like, which flies in the air. You know, it's, it's not important at all. Um, whether it's an aircraft, you know, a conventional manned aircraft, like a Mirage 2000, or whether it's an armed Reaper drone, you know, it doesn't actually matter what the weapon system is. But what is really important to really understand is that there is a broad net of signal intelligence taking place today. After two decades of the war on terrorism and the use of drones, 
there is a broad net of signal intelligence used from Europe and around the world uh, where different armed commanders from different countries are having access to the same intel and you technically wouldn't know who provided that information, who provided the targeted killing list or the location of somebody on the ground, which complicates very much where the responsibility lies for targeted killing or an assass assassination or a botched uh, operation which killed civilians as we have seen in Bunti. And, um, you know, I think this is the main message, which is France is, um, is, is a newbie, if you like, on, on drone warfare. You know, it's very new. There are other countries as well who are entering drone warfare and their weapon systems are highly advanced, more advanced than the US, more advanced than the UK. But when it comes to their targeted killing uh, policy or when it comes to their jurisprudence or, the, or their jurisprudential understanding, um, how they actually operate on the ground, how they target, then you'd find it's very weak. And, in, you know, it's only a matter of time for there to be an atrocity like we have seen or a botched attack for then people to pick up on and investigate and then seek accountability by political or legal means. You are speaking and I forgot to ask you earlier if, if the French military refused to answer your questions, they stopped answering to your emails, uh, are there any signs that France is leading an investigation at least to find out what happened and at least to learn the lessons from this botched attack? Um, they haven't um, responded to me whether they are or are not um, undergoing an investigation. However, um, I have spoken to people on the ground, part of the attack, um, the victims, and they've told me that France or Mali haven't come towards us, haven't, haven't met us. Um, to see what's actually gone on. And um, that kind of is very telling uh, with regards to France's position on the strike. You know, they're, ha they're happy for it just to stay the way it is and not really investigate any further. And, and perhaps maybe after this report and um, the work under the mandates, the two special rapporteurs I mentioned, they may actually investigate further. And that's the key, really. So we have a scaling back of French military presence, of human presence in the region. We have a signal intelligence networks or a single network that is shared by various you know, stakeholders. We see that there, is a, there was, there is an American implication or presence or support to this attack on a wedding in the town of Bunti in Mali. There is a silence from the French armed forces and no signs that investigation is conducted. The UN has accused France of killing 19 civilians Having written your report, what are your final recommendations, both to the French government and all drone operators around the world, especially military drones? Yeah, yeah. I think the main thing is that we're re we've, re we've requested the French military um, to come clean with regards to the targeted killing policy, where we would like to see how do they decipher and how do they interpret the law of war. Um, we've already seen that countries who have drones, who arm drones, are interpreting the way they can use these drones in very different ways. You know, the interpretation of who can be targeted when. The Americans, for example, believe they can target a military-aged male. You know, they believe a military-aged male is fair game. Um, you know, and the UK have their positions as well, which are a little bit more um, stricter. Um, but France, we haven't seen what their uh, position is. So one of them is to, to release a, a targeted killing policy. 
there for sure is one. There's definitely something with that governs their drones. Um, and second of all, to answer any questions of investigative journalists or law firms like myself who are doing um, work on the legal side to better understand how France are going about their, their program. Um, and, and also to, um, to realize that they need to have some ethics as well. Um, whilst we understand that, you know, there is a conflict going on for several reasons, whilst we understand that intelligence gathering and sharing is something which will occur, you know, you can't do an investigation and that's the end of intel gathering, of course. You know, we have to be pragmatic. Um, but to bear in mind that there is morality, you know, there is ethics, there's law and order, and to ensure that the, their interpretations are not going beyond the bounds to justify killing people even within that framework of law and justice. So effectively lawfare, not to turn the tables as and when they please to ensure that they achieve their military objectives. Khalil Diwan, thank you very much for the time you spent uh, with us. Thank you very much for having me on. It was a great pleasure. It was a pleasure to uh, cover this uh, topic. Unfortunately, I think we are bound to cover it more. I don't think this topic is going to disappear from our radars, or at least not when it comes to us, uh, the CJL. Um, I really thank you for this report, and I know another one is coming in terms of on, you know, the alleged you know, uh, acts of torture carried under you know, uh, the watch of French military personnel or not. Uh, as for this podcast episode, we are coming to an end. I would like to thank our audience and to thank Khalil for his presence and to all the information we have been able uh, to, uh, to gather or to get uh, from him. Of course, this means nothing if our audience does not seize this information to do something on the ground, to press policymakers, to organize and demand that the people who are elected to speak on our behalf and represent us do something against these crimes. The population in Mali, we don't, I don't think that they are properly represented with the current government the, or the coups taking place over there. There is a Malian diaspora here and my heartfelt support goes to them and I worry now for the other countries, uh, Mauritania, the, uh, the southern part of Algeria, the western Sahara, Niger, uh, Senegal and, and others and Guinea for example. We, we do have a personal responsibility. I would even say that there is a part of responsibility that is uncompressible. If you do not take your share, nobody will do it for you. If you think that this podcast has been useful or helpful, that you got something from it, please remember to support us on cjl.ong, that's charliejulietlima.oscarnovembergov. Just click on donation and whatever amount you give will help us, you know, run an extra mile on these uh, topics uh, to hire uh, freelancers, uh, to produce more reports and especially to make this podcast uh, a more sustainable one. Thanks again for watching and listening. This was Yasser Luati speaking to you from the Paris south side of Bonlieu. Talk to you soon.